Hi Fireprints, this is Matthias and today I talk with Tony Vitali. He's a member of our community and a professional basketball player transitioning to his post-sports profession. He was growing up in Croatia and recently moved to Sweden. He's also blogging about financial independence towards his audience in Croatia. So I'm pretty curious how these sports careers work, what people in Croatia think about financial independence and money in general, and what his approach is to build wealth. Yeah, and I was also slightly surprised when we talked about taxes in Croatia and Sweden. I hope you liked the episode after a little break here with the podcast in the last couple of months. Yeah, we have some interesting episodes lined up for the upcoming weeks to be published. And we also will post more about the FI Europe Retreat 2022 that takes place in south of Europe to our members in the Facebook group and the mailing list. Make sure to subscribe to that uh, financial-independence.eu slash community or financial-independence.eu slash newsletter. Additionally, we have also scheduled an online meetup to kick off 2022. More information about that you can also find out in the Facebook group or in our newsletter. So, let's go! Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This with your host, Matthias. Hello, FI Europeans. Do you like to diversify your portfolio and earn a nice and steady income? With LandSecure, you can invest in agricultural projects and support European farmers directly starting from 1st of March. It's a great alternative for payday loans with a loan term from 6 to 12 months. These loans are secured by crop insurance, personal guarantee and a three-way agreement. Visit financial-independence.eu slash LandSecure or click the link in the show notes to learn more. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the FI Europe podcast. We, we are recording this in, in, in winter, and I talked to Tony, who's from Croatia, but I think living in Sweden. Is it depressing in Sweden end of the year, or is it nice? Uh, hi, Matthias. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, living in Sweden is maybe not uh, the most fun in the winter uh, due to a little bit shorter days, but uh, fortunately I'm living in Gothenburg, so that's uh, quite south for, at least for Sweden standards. So I think we have, uh, let's say enough, enough daylight in the winter. It's not as extreme as some other parts of Sweden. Yeah. You just have to schedule in your lunch break to, to go outside because that's yeah. the only time. So I've been in, in Sweden, I think 10 years ago uh, or 11 in January, and it was quite dark and depressing. And you had to start, uh, if you go, went to the clubs, you had to start right away with, uh, with drinking and dancing because they were closing kind of really early. So that was my only experience with Sweden in winter. Yeah, I mean, uh, th those are some uh, uh, classic uh, Swedish uh, things like, like uh, clubs closing really early and uh, alcohol is... Uh, Uh, is being very much controlled by the by the state, so you can only buy it in uh, state-run shops. So that, that's also uh, yes, I've uh, been uh, one. interesting thing. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And uh, you you kind of moved to um, uh, to Sweden recently, but what's more important, maybe we start in the beginning. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you kind of started to become a professional basketballer. I have to admit. I, I'm, I have no clue about sports. So I'm the, the one who's going to the gym when there's a World Cup or in the supermarket. So um, bear with me. <laughs> um, so so how, how did you start this career? Have your parents signed up you for basketball or how did it happen? Well, uh, yeah, uh, kind of. I mean, my father was also a basketball player, but uh, not a professional one. He he did it for the love of the game. He was playing like semi-professionally during his uh, college years and, and working years and so on. So he installed a hoop in front of my house when I was uh, uh, about age four. So uh, I really had no other option. <laughs> I was shooting on that, on that hoop every single day. So it was kind of natural that uh, I always wanted to do it. I was never uh, pushed by my father or anybody else. So Yeah, I just love the game and uh, it helps when you're two meters tall. So that's that's also good, that's, good assets that's, to have. That's easy. And your father was also two meters high or not? Yeah, exactly. Like my father is two meters. I'm uh, 202. So we're pretty close. But you, you haven't uh, increased the the height of the of the of the hoop um, then because when you are both tall, then you can just increase the level and change it. How long did it take until you kind of be, became kind of professional gamer, or how is it is a career in 
how does a career in sports work? How, where do you start and where do you, how do you improve and get promoted and so on? Yeah, I mean, it's totally different than uh, most uh, classic careers, uh, let's say. Uh, I know that uh, you had a guest on your podcast uh, who was an actress, so uh, it's kind of like that a little bit. So obviously you need to have, have uh, skills, you need to have dedication and hard work uh, through the years just to uh, be in the position to possibly make it. But of course, there's other factors like uh, luck, like having uh, a good agent, uh, like having good uh, timing uh, and, and stuff like that has to all uh, connect together. It was never my uh, initial plan to be a professional basketball player, uh, although I was I was uh, pretty, pretty tall growing up, uh, just because there were so many other uh, guys, the competition is really fierce. Uh, mm. So it was uh, it was tough, uh, tough in the beginning. But uh, uh, during my college years, uh, I had advanced uh, a lot in, in that regard. And uh, it kind of just uh, I kind of just jumped into the, the professional uh, career without uh, ever planning to do it. So I would say that's uh, pretty, pretty uncommon. So kind of after college, you just became professional, basically, or not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, during college, uh, to be honest, uh, I was studying electrical engineering, and mm -hmm. uh, I had like one one last shot, let's say, to uh, to make it pro. Because I was twenty uh, three years old at the time, which uh, in sports terms, you're not you're not that young anymore at twenty three if you haven't become pro mm. uh, before that. Which which is funny from uh, from the perspective of maybe. Uh, other classic classic jobs but uh, uh, yeah I was I was struggling but uh, I just put in uh, a lot of effort uh, in one um, winter break where I went from uh, being the guy at uh, the end of the bench who was getting a little playing time to to being one of the uh, best players on the team so that that gave me an opportunity uh, to become a professional and that's where I first moved to Sweden so I actually moved to Sweden twice so that mm. was my uh, first experience uh, living a year in Sweden, then playing professional back in Croatia, and then finally uh, moving with my wife uh, two years ago uh, to Sweden for a little bit uh, long-term stay, let's say. Long-term stay. And, and um, many people, if you read books like The High Performance Habit or People or whatever, they always um, try to copy also successful people from maybe business, but also from sports, what they're doing. So, for example, in your... In your winter, uh, where you really improved, uh, what what have you done? Have you tried some smart drugs, or what have you done to improve yourself? Yeah, I was uh, throughout my career. I was always just trying to be as consistent as possible. So a lot of people uh, talk about uh, you know hard work and uh, building good habits, which is really popular in the in the last years, and uh, mm -hmm. being consistent. But uh, I found that uh, I was uh, able to to do it um, maybe more than than some other people did, and that was probably the the main factor why I succeeded. I wasn't uh, uh, super talented. Uh, mm -hmm. There are people that are taller than me, faster than me. They can uh, jump higher than me and so forth but yeah during that winter break i was just uh, practicing uh, much more than uh, probably all of my teammates so uh, basically i didn't leave uh, any other option to my coach other than uh, uh, to start me in the game and, uh, and give me a lot more playing time okay so more consistency and um, yeah just exercising more and more dedication than the others or yeah, sometimes also in summer for example many people do summer vacation or spend their time at the lake but you could also kind of write a book or um, get additional training and so on. Um, but yeah, you should not do that every year, I think, um, because um, then you have no no life and so on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, um, yeah, I, I know, for example, a personal finance blogger who just uh, have written a book in summer where everybody else was done doing vacation then really... Um, I got into the bestseller list with that book. And uh, I think it's Madame Moneypenny. It's a famous German female finance blogger. So that's what I um, learned about. So when uh, when some people are um, just sleeping or doing other stuff, you can just continue working on your uh, goal if you really kind of want it. Um, yeah. So and um, do you have any tips, uh, for example, that you, I mean, you kind of also do a career shift and um, is there anything maybe that you can take from your professional basketball career to your maybe next uh, life steps or anything that you kind of uh, wisdom that is kind of yeah, the, 
that just yeah. comes out of that uh, life life path basically yeah, yeah i know what you mean yeah i think a lot of uh, uh, skills translate uh, from sports to to more classic classic careers uh, such as i um, mentioned consistency also uh, being disciplined is uh, is very very important in sports because uh, it's not only the time you, you spend uh, practicing and um, playing games, but it's also the, the diet, uh, the sleeping habits uh, okay. uh, and so forth. You have to deal with a lot of stress, uh, like uh, you get basically uh, reviewed every single week, uh, sometimes even uh, twice a week. So that's uh, that's also maybe a little bit more extreme than, uh, than on a regular job, let's say. And uh, also, there's a lot of pressure to perform year after year. So basically, hmm. in professional sports, you, you mostly get contracts year by year based on your past year's performance. So you can never sleep on your laurels. Uh, you have to just be constantly improving. And that, I think that's a part of what I'm trying to translate into uh, let's say more classical careers as I'm uh, right now uh, in the course uh, learning data analytics and uh, also in the last uh, four or five years where I have been uh, really intensely learning about uh, personal finance and investing uh, up to the point that uh, I realized uh, okay I know more than uh, the regular folks so maybe I should uh, start and share that knowledge so basically the, the blog wasn't also planned but also kind of happened like <laughs> like my uh, uh, basketball career. Um, I have to ask about the blog also about um, because you know what people think about uh, professional basketball players say that they get a, a really high salary and then maybe you just had to manage the, the funds yourself because you haven't found a family office for it but it's not the case or is it no I mean I think people people in general have um uh not not really correct uh, representation of professional sports because uh, uh, the only thing you are exposed to are uh, stories in the media and uh, those are usually the uh, the athletes at the very top so the athletes at the very top uh, of course get the, the majority of the funds especially in football basketball is is much lower on, on that uh, scale and uh, also obviously at which level uh, you're playing in so uh, for example in, in basketball or any sports I think if you are uh, maybe a 20% or 30% better than the other person you're probably going to get paid uh, two or three hundred percent more so the, the ratio of uh, skills and compensation is really really uneven so uh, the people at the top get the, the majority of the money so i would say that uh, especially in basketball more than 90 or 95 percent of uh, professional athletes cannot uh, afford just to live off of um, those funds they they made during the career so they they have to make a, a career switch afterwards and it's kind of hard because uh, you know you are in your 30s uh, most of the time when you when you quit with professional sports and you have to make a, a total uh, career change and uh, you kind of feel like you're uh, uh, 10 15 years behind uh, of some uh, some other people that just went went to school and went straight into into the workforce Mm. Um, so let's talk also about your career change. But what I just would like uh, two questions about your professional um, playing uh, is it isn't that also um, you mean you have to stop with it because of your health because just because you do sports doesn't mean it's it's healthy because it could also be the opposite because maybe your knees are getting broken not broken but um, you know if you just use them then they are not good enough anymore like tires. Is it also something um, that you have in professional sports that you just need to stop with it because um, it's really damaging your um, your health over the long term? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Uh, that's also one of the things I wanted to mention that professional sports is not healthy at all. So uh, I would, uh, <laughs> of course, encourage everyone to, to exercise. That's uh, really important. That's one of the uh, pillars of staying healthy. But doing that on a professional level uh, just uh, takes a lot of uh, toll on your body. So uh, most of the times you cannot uh, recover enough for, for the next exercise. So you just keep piling on and piling on that uh, uh, rest and small injuries and stuff. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned the knees i never had any any problem up until this year and uh, yeah i found out i have i basically have osteoarthritis in uh, one of my knees so uh, that's probably going to shorten my, my career a little bit more than uh, than i hoped but yeah that's also one of the one of the risks of uh, 
mm. of being a professional athlete. So, uh, for example, I'm currently uh, 30 years old, and uh, in sports, that's considered like uh, a late late stage of the career. I would say the yeah. the average uh, is about early 30s that that people usually quit if they uh, last until uh, late 30s. That's uh, that's pretty good. That means you you took care of your body and had uh, luck with uh, with injuries. So uh, yeah, I just take it now one year at a time and still play uh, semi semi professionally while while trying to transition into a more classic career. Mm -hmm. So now let's talk maybe about. So you moved to Sweden um, to play their basketball, also in a professional. I think it's called Super Red Hands, a sec Swedish second league. You have written your own uh, Wikipedia entry. Uh, or was it somebody else? <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually a friend of mine that <laughs> wrote okay. my uh, Wikipedia entry. So uh, that was kind of funny. But I, I also think one of the clubs in uh, Croatia played professionally. And they, they also made uh, Wikipedia entries for me. So I don't know which, which one you're referring to, but uh, I'm I glad you did your... Uh, Yeah, 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 I'm glad you did your homework. <laughs> yeah, like in like uh, in school, just reading the one Wikipedia uh, article and then go and write the exam. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> not really. But um, so you move to Sweden and then you you're kind of playing professional. Maybe you also get more money from from because Sweden they have money. And um, then you kind of uh, thought, okay, my knees are not that good, and I cannot 3D 3D print my knees now. I have to. <laughs> wait until it's possible so why not um yeah j just um trying to transition to another career and how have you made your choice for the data analytics or have you just seen a, a video on youtube about it and or how, how deep i have you dived into the topic and what's your approach actually for this transition Well, uh, I was studying electrical engineering back, back in Croatia, but yeah, I had to quit uh, the studies due, due to my uh, basketball career, but I was always uh, good with numbers, uh, always enjoyed math and physics and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, of course, we all know that uh, the IT sector is in uh, huge demand for workers and that it's, uh, let's say, pretty easy to transition into that sector, even without a degree from university, just by... Uh, Uh, having the skills by finishing various online courses and stuff and yeah i think in general there's a there's a huge uh, shift in, in education uh, towards uh, online courses which is uh, uh, yeah it's helpful for, for me obviously but i think it just uh, it went like from one thing to another uh, kind of stumbling in, stumbling into data analytics uh, maybe similar as i stumbled into basketball and my blog just by learning how to code in Python because it was the most uh, uh, widely used and beginner-friendly language. And then I just saw like different opportunities that are there in the space. So uh, right now I'm, I'm trying to uh, to finish the, the course I'm in uh, regarding specifically data analytics. And have you, um, uh, what time budget do you have to, to transition into that, to, to gain more knowledge in that field? Is it just on the weekend or uh, do you have also during the week sometime? Yeah, right now I'm a self-directed learner, so I try to learn almost uh, every day. Uh, I'm still playing basketball semi-professionally. I'm doing some uh, uh, freelance work uh, online. Uh, so, yeah, I always have like three three or four uh, stuff going on. Uh, maybe I uh, dissipate my, my attention uh, sometimes too much, but uh, I've been slowly learning about it for the last year or two. But uh, mm. In the past couple of months, I'm really, really uh, uh, focusing down on, and doubling down on uh, that part of education. And so one idea I've heard from another um, friend I know is that, um, that you can also do kind of, if you have to really transition quick, you can do some of these boot camps. What do you think about them? Have you considered just doing like a three to five months focused um, boot camp, uh, having projects to collaborate with other people and so on? Yeah, I, I uh, heard about obviously bootcamps, but I haven't had the experience in any of them. But uh, I'm currently taking a Google uh, Data Analytics uh, course, which is also, like I would say, uh, it can be uh, like a bootcamp, but uh, it has to be self-directed. So you basically pick your own pace. So mm. they, they say you should um, uh, finish the education about uh, three to six months. And right now I'm really close to uh, finishing it uh, in around three months. So on the lower end of the spectrum. So I would say like I made my own uh, version of the of the bootcamp, at least mm. in that area. Um, for the Google Data Analytics, is it kind of this Google Tag Manager or Data Studio or what are you working with, with what kind of Google tools and platforms? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's various tools from uh, basic spreadsheet 
Sheets, so uh, Google Sheets or Excel, uh, mm-hmm. and then going forward to uh, databases, uh, so SQL, and uh, finally finishing with uh, visualization tools that are not Google's like uh, Tableau mm-hmm. and uh, programming language of R. So there's a lot of uh, uh, different skills uh, to pick up. So yeah, I really like it so far. Yeah, I also like that you use Google and Tableau because I have both uh, stocks in the <laughs> portfolio. <laughs> uh, so at least uh, I think Salesforce bought Tableau. Yeah, so very good. And you, uh, I think you, you gain the most um, experience uh, also. I mean, the one thing is uh, learning from courses. I have also done that. Uh, but the other thing is really to apply that um, knowledge. And I think that, that is where you kind of learn the most when you get questions from a customer or do you have to solve a problem in short time? I think that's the most uh, or the easiest way also and the most natural way to learn. Have you also kind of maybe considered uh, freelance gigs on Upwork or asking your neighbor to fix a database for them or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I have it planned. Uh, I have a project coming up uh, as a part of the course, so I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. Uh, as you said, uh, I think for learning anything, uh, just having uh, quick feedback, I think, is the is the really important thing to, to have. I think that uh, can be uh, applied both to and sports and uh, learning about anything uh, when when you know what you're doing wrong and <laughs> you get that uh, quick feedback and you uh, correct the mistake that's uh, that's probably a way more efficient way to learn than just to uh, listen somebody talk uh, talk about a topic or just uh, uh, passively learning about it yeah just sitting with a customer and the customer is just complaining and uh, giving ne- negative feedbacks <laughs> that makes you really learning <laughs> pretty fast <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, so that's at least what I did. <laughs> so um, I also would like to um, compare a bit. So I think we close this topic somehow. So you're kind of in the in the process of learning that, uh, getting the first projects, maybe unpaid, unpaid for now, uh, but also maybe later on, somebody's just asking you if you can fix something or you can go to Upwork or maybe also you get a junior developer position or a data scientist position somewhere um so i think that 99% that it will work out if you if you really can think logically but um, mm-hmm. i think so also i would like to um maybe ask you about this differences about croatia and sweden because you moved from uh, croatia and sweden i think uh, croatia is not uh, in the middle of the heat map of financial independence so it's uh, not well covered and um do they at least cover themselves. So how is the financial independence or at least personal finance scene in, in Croatia look like? Yeah, I think it's it's an understatement uh, what you said about Croatia not being on the heat map of uh, financial independence movement. Basically, when I started my blog about a year and a half ago, a little bit more, uh, there was only one blog uh, about the topic and about uh, personal finance and investing in general that uh, was producing consistent content mm. and yeah right now there's uh, my blog also and, uh, and that's about it so i mean we're, we're not a big country but i think in general the, the society uh, considering the financial education topics is uh, not as advanced as uh, a lot of other uh, european countries so yeah, I think we should uh, do much more uh, in that area, maybe even uh, have some uh, basic programs from, from the government just to get uh, people uh, familiar with, with basic concepts. I mean, uh, for me, it sounds really crazy that uh, uh, we learn uh, about so much stuff, uh, especially in high school, that maybe we don't apply ever in our lives and we don't learn about uh, personal finance, which is, uh, whether we want it or not, a uh, really important part of uh, our lives. Um, I think I, I opted in for the economy course in the 11th class or something like that. But um, yeah, I think um, you have to learn it yourself. That's why you have all these YouTube gurus, because um, you need to learn it after school. <laughs> <laughs> and and how, how big is the market? So how many people live in Croatia? I mean, everybody knows it, but I'm just asking for a friend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's about uh, four million people uh, in Croatia, and actually, we had a, a lot of uh, young people like uh, myself and my wife uh, move out of 
British ever since we joined the EU in uh, 2013. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, as, as we all know, the, the job market is uh, is way better in uh, Western and uh, European countries than in Croatia. And it's really funny because when I talk to my uh, friends uh, here in Sweden, they have like this. Uh, a uh, really uh, pink looking uh, picture about uh, Croatia like uh, is the perfect country to live in because uh, they only see the highlights they go there in the summer <laughs> for their vacation they see the, the beautiful nature and the coast and everything but I always tell them yeah it's it's a completely different story uh, living there uh, I mean uh, the lifestyle is great but um, yeah I just can't compare to to a lot of countries in the EU, when you uh, look at uh, income and uh, living expenses, is um, it's much much uh, tougher life in Croatia than it is in Sweden. So that was uh, mm. a big part of uh, our decision to, to move here. Just that uh, using the geo arbitrage, uh, so uh, making making some extra money, investing it, and uh, hopefully uh, moving back to, to Croatia in uh, in some years. Yeah, so many people um, like also from South Europe are doing doing that kind of spending a couple of years in the middle of Europe or not. I think UK is not in en vogue anymore, but uh, in the middle of Europe and then go back. And uh, then they can also um, fire much faster because they don't need that much money in this house. <clears throat> and um, I mean, four million is not that much. Uh, it's just the citizens of Berlin, like as big as Berlin. Um, is it then then you just need three personal finance blocks because it's <laughs> it's just exactly. four million basically and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, um, do you also know some of the beliefs say uh, people have about money in um in Croatia is there um what what do pink people think about money is it something other people do for you or is it something you don't need to care about because you don't have money or uh, how is it working yeah. Yeah, I would say that uh, most of uh, people's mindset in Croatia is just living uh, day by day, uh, paycheck by paycheck, uh, you know, uh, enjoying what life has to offer in in every kind of way and just uh, hope for the best uh, in the future, even though, uh, uh, yeah, the the retirement system is is, uh, pretty... pretty bad on on the verge of collapse, if you ask me. And uh, that's the same in Germany also. No, no difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the demographics uh, in general are, are not favorable to the to the old uh, retirement system uh, across the developed world. So uh, there's going to be a lot of problems there going forward. So I think th- those are the the topics that they need to be discussed. But uh, uh, as I said, uh, yeah, people usually just think money uh, money is for spending. Uh, they don't really know how to invest. Uh, yeah, just the the lack of of the basic knowledge. Uh, I would say that that's probably the the biggest uh, the biggest problem along with uh, relatively high expenses when you when you compare it to, to salaries are there also some some neo banks or some robo advisors that um, offer their their services in in Croatia yeah i mean uh, we have access to most of uh, european uh, financial services uh, now uh, after we entered the eu so that's really good uh, like for example, there is a Phoenix robo advisor that uh, is now expanding through uh, uh, Central and uh, Eastern Europe. So we mm-hmm. have access to that. Also, there's a classic broker that just launched uh, the first robo advisor in Croatia. So yeah, I mean the the scene is uh, is uh, moving a little bit, expanding bit by bit. So uh, hopefully, we're gonna see some uh, better days in, in that regard going forward. And uh, your broker is in Sweden or in Croatia? Yeah, I opened open my uh, brokerage account at Interactive Brokers while I was in in Croatia, and mm-hmm. then I just uh, changed changed the address to to Sweden. So that was uh, really uh, pain free, uh, I would say. So, yeah, there there are some benefits of uh, of being a EU citizen for sure in, in that regard. Um, so so no surprise here that you use Interactive Brokers. I think many people <laughs> use it in the audience. Um, and uh, how's the real estate market? Because it's maybe maybe some people think about, oh, Croatia, can I not, maybe, is it good for saving tax or is can I buy some property there? Um, what do you think is, is uh, how high is the uh, capital gains tax? And is there any anything people can utilize from Croatia? Well, uh, the real estate sector has been booming uh, in the last uh, couple of years as uh, I'm aware it, it is in most countries, right? But uh, mm. I think Croatia, especially because we had a, a pretty big uh, rise in tourism in the last five to ten years. So, uh, mm. for example, I'm I'm from the coast, so basically 
whatever real estate uh, anybody had, we are all uh, renting it out in the summer uh, for Airbnbs and <laughs> booking.com and, and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that drove the, the prices pretty high up. Then the, the capital of Zagreb uh, is also booming uh, uh, in, in, the, in the tourism in the last couple mm -hmm. of years. So that also drove the prices up. And then when you combine it with uh, the low interest rates that we had in the last years and uh, uh, the state actually uh, supports uh, young families uh, uh, with a part uh, of their mortgage uh, every month just to be able to afford the apartment. It just sent uh, the prices uh, really skyrocketing up uh, in the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if it's a good time to, to, to buy or not. But uh, It doesn't sound like an opportunity. <laughs> it sounds a bit uh, overvalued, but um, yeah. you, you don't know how how high it can 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 go. Kind of, I also have been in Zagreb yeah. and Dubrovnik, and I, mm -hmm. I think it's I think Dubrovnik there is no no free real estate. I mean, it's so small. I think in Zagreb, maybe yeah, Dubrovnik is very yeah, Dubrovnik is very very small by uh, by area. So. And, and uh, the prices are, I think, on par with uh, uh, some uh, Western European countries. So it's probably probably way overpriced. Uh, Zagreb is, uh, yeah, relatively low when you when you maybe compare it to other uh, Central European uh, capitals. But uh, uh, for a regular Croatian, uh, yeah, I would say it's uh, way too expensive right now. Right. So, and and, and tax wise, is it uh, is it yeah, more a high high tax country or more low tax or in the middle or? Yeah, that's one of the biggest advantages of uh, investing in Croatia because uh, we have a capital gains uh, tax that is applied only on uh, the investments which you uh, sell uh, in under two years uh, from the day to bottom. So uh, any investment you hold more than two years, uh, you don't pay any tax. So that's uh, that's a really uh, awesome thing to have, as because I'm aware that here in Sweden, I think it's the same in Germany. If I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken, that you pay a 30 percent uh, or just about uh, capital gains tax. Yes, 26 uh, somehow in in Germany, um, but yeah. you pay it always, not just uh, before two years. You just pay it always. Yeah. And with ETFs, they have the uh, they just have um, found out that people hold ETFs really long and they don't earn um, tax during that time. So that's why they just tax it right away with <laughs> uh, with one okay. percent or with a strange amount of percents that nobody knows exactly, and that changes every year. So um, that's uh, what they had as an idea. So I think the Croatian model is really compelling um for for capital gains i think that we should recommend it more because people go to cyprus or to portugal sometimes or to andorra but they i mean if you hold if you have buy and hold strategy then you can kind of uh yeah <laughs> um save a lot of tax and um yeah exactly i mean sorry to, to break you i mean you have to be a tax resident of uh, croatia obviously so but we are slowly now opening up uh Uh, to, to European uh, workers, in, uh, especially in uh, high-tech, uh, like uh, the IT industry. Uh, we also had some success in the automotive industry with uh, uh, the Rimac company, which is making the hypercars and stuff like that. So we had some influx of uh, foreign workers in those uh, high-paying jobs. So if you're uh, uh, one of those, I think you can uh, leverage the, the favorable tax in Croatia. Uh, is it also possible for people who don't want to work? <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, or are they not? I mean, if you if you bring kind of uh, half a million or a million, uh, then maybe they also let you let you in. I yeah, I'm so. not. Yeah, I'm not aware if the the state has any strategy considering that. But uh, that, that would be a pretty pretty favorable thing, I think, both for for the Croatian state and for the people moving there. Uh, oh. Yeah, I, I think you have to live there more than 183 days. So more than half of the year to, to be a tax resident. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can probably apply to, to unemployed also. Uh, uh, yeah, so that, that could be a good, a good strategy, maybe uh, uh, nearing, nearing retirement or in retirement for uh, some Western, uh, Western and Northern European uh, workers. Yeah, and it's also uh, often just a thing of perspective. You can say I'm financially independent, or but you can also say I'm unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's how you look at it. <laughs> It's uh, really the glass is uh, half uh, full. Interesting. And uh, what's your um, impression from from Sweden? Is there also anything uh, favorable that you can uh, leverage now, or is it just uh, just a typical 
high tax country um, in Europe? Yeah, I mean, uh, Sweden is known to to have one of the highest taxes uh, in Europe. So, uh, yeah, there are maybe some some other countries where uh, uh, you can you can look into if you're uh, really looking for a high income and uh, being able to to save a, a large chunk of it. But I would say the, the Sweden advantages are uh, probably the work life balance uh, and uh, the social safety net, which is uh, I would say. Uh, uh, they're not even aware how, how good it is uh, to, to live and, and work in Sweden. Basically, are really uh, well protected as a worker. Uh, basically, you, you cannot uh, get fired on your on your work uh, unless you you do something uh, uh, really way out of the ordinary. And even if you do, you got uh, so much protection uh, from the state. So uh, I would say Sweden is more for like living a living a, a balanced life and uh, also for raising a family because they have one of the the longest uh, both maternity and paternity leaves in europe uh, mm -hmm. they actually uh, incentivize uh, uh, the fathers to stay at home with their kids as long as the mothers so because that, that's why uh, that's how you get uh, the uh, the maximum the duration of the paternity leave yeah they also incentivize fathers to to stay more uh, or spend more time with their children but not as much not uh, not that you have to spend the whole time or the the same amount of time than the women although it i think it could make sense also uh, to spend some time but um do people in sweden complain about their tax amount they have they have to pay or do they like to do, do they like to spend um, that money because they know what they get for it yeah that's actually funny i think uh, sweden was the the only country in the world in which uh, when they had a survey about uh, taxes and people were asked uh, would you be willing to pay higher taxes if it would uh, bring more uh, uh, more goods to the community in general uh, the majority said yes so actually they are <laughs> they they know where their, their taxes are going they can see it in in everyday life uh, uh, the infrastructure is is also really uh, uh, really good so i think that the average suite doesn't even uh, uh, look into the ways how can I uh, cut my tax bill and stuff like that. They just uh, you know take it for granted. They have mm. a good life. They uh, they have really a high high level of uh, confidence uh, in their mm. government, which is uh, funny for me coming you know from Croatia, where yeah it's it's more uh, a Balkan a Balkan kind of uh, mentality. And I mean there's there's good reasons why uh, uh, in general we don't uh, trust our politicians as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, really, um, I think, e e kind of unique about this, this Swede Swedish people that they really trust in their in their government. Uh, I think in Germany there are also some people do trust. Some people also don't care. But many people um, don't have that much um, trust. And I think we are not the, 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 the lower end of of it. So um, that's um, a great achievement for them. Uh, for for Sweden and nothing bad, um, no, nothing bad. The Swedish summer, so it's really <laughs> nice there to um, spend time and so on. Yeah, they they say the Swedish summer is the nicest week of the year here. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the the thing is, you, you never know which week is, you, what's it going to be. It's going to be uh, maybe uh, early July, late July in August. Uh, it changes year by year, so it's tough to predict. I have been three three times, I think, in in Sweden in summer and was always good weather so i was i think in stockholm for a business mm. trip and then also and um, there are some islands uh, before stockholm so the sheeran i don't know how to spell it in english but there's a small island and my wife now wife forced me to sleep there although there's no mobile uh, coverage or mobile internet mm -hmm. and no uh, cars and you just had to sleep in a tent like in a festival but just without the festival it's really <laughs> crazy so it was, um so and yeah so it was uh, but it was really nice um really relaxing um not to um be online and so on and uh, very beautiful and it was one week and sunshine all the time so i think it was that, that one week I think. yeah i think that means you you really got lucky so <laughs> be happy about it <laughs> Okay, and um, maybe talking a bit about uh, personal finance, you also you have the blog uh, writing in Croatia to kind of educate the people and also find find your audience. Um, is there is, what what are the most interesting uh, things you you blog about? So your maybe your favorite the, your favorite articles of your audience and maybe your favorite articles from your perspective. 
Yeah, I think the the audience is uh, always most uh, interested in the in the investing topics. Uh, everybody wants <laughs> wants to learn uh, how do they they can make money investing. So, but uh, my investing strategy is uh, basically passive uh, buying. Uh, uh, ETFs that, that follow uh, uh, indexes, so I would say it's a pretty basic, basic strategy. But uh, I think uh, for a regular person uh, who cannot afford uh, to be online a couple hours a day and uh, have a more active approach, I think uh, uh, that's probably the the best fit. So yeah, I think th- those are the, the the topics that resonate most with my audience. But I. Uh, also uh, try to sprinkle in uh, some other more or less related topics like uh, uh, thinking about uh, the climate and uh, uh, and some other uh, and more like a life uh, philosophy stuff like uh, minimalism and uh, stoicism and stuff like that uh, because i think it just uh, intertwines uh, so well uh, with all the with all the other stuff uh, about uh, personal finance and investing in, in general yeah, it works uh, very good together, these, these topics and life uh, philosophies. Um, and you have to be careful because sometimes also these finance bloggers, if they blog longer, then they, uh, they, they, they maybe also do some more active trading and st- stuff like that. So just be careful that you don't, don't do that because if you can maybe do data analytics, maybe you write a bot uh, that trades <laughs> options or. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, I figure that there are some companies that uh, have uh, billions of dollars on disposal, and some of the brightest minds in the world uh, they can probably write a better bot than than myself. So, I figure it's best not not to try and beat them by just uh, by by the average with uh, the best ETFs and just uh, hold for for the long run. Yeah, maybe it takes you ten years uh, to be that good. And uh, you have to to switch to uh, JP Morgan or uh, to some of these companies to to learn about it. Yeah, so uh, pretty good. So, uh, would you say, and overall, the, the financial industry is is in good shape, or would you say there's are there any miss things that are yeah kind of terrible? Because I think it changed for the better. So there we have these new fintech companies. In like 10, 15 years ago, you have these kind of consultants that came to your home, charged a lot of money, sold you a contract. But right now, I think personal finance changed kind of for the better. Uh, you have these robot advisors. If you don't want to do it yourself, you can just buy an ETF. So it's um, I think uh, personal finance is uh, kind of improved. Or is there anything that still needs to be where you need to be, uh, you have a revolution or <laughs> just improve uh, things? Yeah, I think there's been a huge uh, upswing in uh, the personal finance and uh, investing industry in the in the last decade or two, especially with uh, uh, the ETFs coming on the scene, and then as you mentioned, uh, robo advisors and uh, various fintech companies that let you uh, uh, exchange currencies and make transfers for uh, literally uh, zero uh, amount of money or, or very very small amounts. So mm. I think as as tools go, I think that uh, more or less. Uh, yeah, the, the average uh, investor has everything they need. I think the, the problem is with uh, uh, the education and uh, the financial behavior. So, so I think those are uh, the two drivers of, of personal success because uh, I don't think we are uh, lacking any tools now, although uh, mm-hmm. with the cryptocurrency and the, the, the DeFi uh, part of it, uh, there's probably going to be some uh, some some change, uh, some yeah competition in, in that area but i don't think the, the tools are the problem i think the the education uh, is the big problem and uh, the behavior or just uh, applying those uh, applying it in, in practice I, th- I think the um the, the i think the what really also improved is that you have more um, education available for for lower amount of money so you have all all kinds of online courses you don't need to go to a three thousand dollars seminar somewhere but you can, of course. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, is a lot of free material. The only problem is um, to filter out because if you in the beginning you don't know much about a topic to filter out in the beginning, is it a scam? Is it good quality? And don't waste your time with kind of uh, average content or um, yeah, not as people. Maybe as <clears throat> I think there are a lot of young people. Um, maybe in their studying, they want to just make money starting a personal finance academy. Um, or especially you also have that in crypto because it's a kind of a red red ocean or a completely new new battlefield where you can 
just create your own online academy and uh, put out some some videos and about technical analysis or, or whatever and um i think that the, the, the problem is, is to choose the, the right ones and to, to find them and not the availability of of knowledge because there i think we have uh, plenty of yeah. yeah i totally agree with you i mean i love to say that uh, internet is probably the the best source of information and the worst uh, source of information so as you said we, we live in an in information abundance uh, times where every couple of years uh, we have uh, an amount of informa new information created that hasn't been created in the uh, first couple of thousand years of uh, modern human civilization so obviously the the most important skill is just uh, knowing which uh, information to, to pay attention to to have a, a reliable uh, source of, of good information so those are the things that uh, i think the, the education system and uh, probably upbringing also has to has to work in a little bit and i, I thought also you think we are in the at the shift to just uh, the next kind of a decade or age so you have the, now you have i can think the, the time of facebook and instagram and all these social stuff is kind of ending from my perspective and you have now this web3 um trend you have the metaverse where you have a completely new world that needs to be, be uh, built um oh. you have uh, totally different financial uh, politics uh, from the central banks and you have all these decentralized systems and tools so i think it's um it's a kind of um, starting of a, a complete shift of what we kind of know, but we don't recognize it because you don't recognize that, that it's exponential because you're just staying there and you you cannot see that it's exponential. You just <laughs> need you you just know it when you look back, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the world is changing at such a quick pace. Uh... Uh, as you said, in our day-to-day -day lives, maybe we don't notice it, but uh, when you only look 10, 10 years ago, uh, our lives were vastly different than today. But uh, I think that the really important thing is uh, regarding the, the knowledge part is, is having a, a tree trunk uh, of knowledge, like a sturdy base uh, on which uh, you can build on. So that's why I really try to ingrain the, uh, some of the basic principles in, in personal finance and investing, because I don't think they're, they're going to change even uh, with the arrival of uh, new technologies. What, what have you done? Um, maybe you're advising people also what they can, how they can invest in ETF. And is there anything you, you maybe have done wrong against your best knowledge? in person inv investing maybe sold yeah. something too early or yeah i mean uh yeah maybe not, not a mistake but uh, uh i got into the investing world uh, uh when when the crypto had uh, its first uh, uh, big upswing in, in 2017 and that's uh, uh, one of the things that got me interested in, into investing and yeah i thought that that was uh, uh, really smart investing in crypto because uh, <laughs> uh, everything was was going uh, up and up and in the end i uh, i did uh, went out with the profits but uh, i realized later that it was just uh, pure luck and that's what got me into uh, reading about uh, investing so i just started with some of the the basic uh, books and uh, blogs and uh, podcasts and so on and just mm -hmm. uh, really really got uh, consumed by it uh, in the next couple of years uh, up until uh, uh, I could say that okay, I really, really got uh, the basics down, and uh, uh, then I just naturally started to talk to my uh, friends about it. They wanted me to have a little uh, lectures in my living room to them, so I said, okay, maybe, maybe it's easier that uh, I'm going to write some articles and I'm, I'm going to share it with you. So, and then it went on. Okay, maybe I can publish these articles. So that's kind of how the uh, the blog uh, started. That they don't have to come to your uh, living room anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> too small. Okay, so um, yeah, I think on Robin on Robin Hood, you also have they they offered um, stock trading, and now and then they offered also crypto trading, and now I think they trade more crypto. The people on Robin Hood than they trade stocks, so it's uh, interesting that most people try to make their fortune with, with crypto, but I mean the most basic one would be just uh, do um, stock investing because you have more data you know that it's more secure and you know that it's better fundament but i think they want to, sh to have a shortcut kind of yeah um, exactly i mean to use the analogy i mentioned again with uh, the tree trunk uh, uh, knowledge base i think uh, people are uh, focusing on the leaves uh, of the tree so 
yeah, without, without uh, even knowing uh, the basics uh, under that. So I think uh, going into crypto, maybe it's good if it gets you interested in, in learning about uh, personal finance and investing. But yeah, I don't think it's a, it's a good uh, investment strategy for a beginner, for sure. Yeah, and there's maybe also not enough um, uh, data to um, just be sure that you make money. Um, okay, so um, I would like. I have also some other questions, but I don't want to overdo it. Uh, maybe we also see you again somehow. Is there um, any because you're young, young, uh, somehow younger than me at least? So <laughs> I am start to becoming old and asking questions old people are asking. So um, I would like to know what kind of Telegram groups, Discord, P, uh, Discord channels, or um maybe also youtube channels if there's anybody watching it or podcasts you you consume or people you follow and like maybe just mention two but you can also send me more yeah i mean, I uh, I mean that, of course yeah I, i'd have to disappoint you a bit because uh, regarding yeah. my sources i think i'm <laughs> pretty uh, uh i don't know i would say uh, maybe uh older than, than i am uh at least okay. in that regard i really like to keep the uh the books but also yeah i do follow uh, podcasts and uh, youtube and stuff like that but uh, no uh telegram or, or discord as you mentioned but uh, for instance uh uh, a very very uh, a good youtube channel uh, is uh, from a guy from canada called ben felix uh, i don't know if you if you know about him no uh, yeah i mean he's uh, talking about uh, investing topics and uh, a lot about uh, factor investing so uh, basically using some uh, proven uh, proven factors uh, historically to uh, boost your returns a little bit. I mean, it's, it's still uh, passive investing, but you use stuff like uh, uh, small cap and uh, value companies in your portfolio to to boost your uh, returns a bit. So he has that uh, YouTube channel and also a podcast called uh, the Rational uh, Reminder. So uh, mm -hmm. those those are pretty pretty uh, high quality uh, sources of info, but maybe not for a beginner because you would maybe struggle to to grasp some concepts but uh, yeah those are uh, definitely the the two from from the same person uh, mm -hmm. that that I can uh, recommend okay so Ben Felix is his name yeah. and um yeah also i mean i think that's how you can tweak your strategy in ETFs with um with these factors i think that's also kind of proven um except maybe if you had for the last couple of years the value factors and you <laughs> Had, uh, would have lost a bit or have underperformed. Uh, but you could, what is really interesting about this uh, factor investing is that you also combine factors like uh, growth with quality. And then you, um, I think that that's really um, good if you can combine like two factors and um, also then decrease your risk a bit um, by that. So thank you very much, Tony. It was interesting also get a, a few insights about how the sports industry works and uh, yeah, hope to see you next time, maybe on a meetup or uh, in the podcast again, and uh, continue the conversation. Yeah, good luck you. with your studies. <laughs> yeah, thanks, and uh, thank you for having me. It was it was a lot of fun for me. Thank you for listening to the episode. We really appreciate you taking the time and we would love to hear your feedback in the comments on our website financial-independence.eu or you can head over to our Facebook group and engage with us and like-minded people that you can find at financial-independence.eu slash community. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review if you like. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle FIEurope. And for people on our email list, we post occasionally about special updates, ideas events and curate the best contents from the European FI community. You can find that at financial-independence.eu slash newsletter. Thank you for being part of the community and see you in the next episode.